So hello once again everyone to part two of the podcast interview with Colm Gildenew. Colm is Sinn Féin's MLA for Fermanagh South Tyrone. We hope you enjoyed the first part of the interview and Colm if you don't mind I'm just going to uh, continue on the whole um, health aspect here considering that you are Sinn Féin's party spokesperson for health and you are as I said in part one you're actually the chair of the assembly health committee so what do you believe Colm now needs to be done moving forward island-wide to tackle future outbreaks number one but also I guess you know what there, there's a dual system here island-wide. Obviously, we've got a, a two-tier uh, police force. We've got the PSNI, we've got Angarda Sukana, we've got, you know, education, um, we've got health, we have got two of everything. So what do you believe we need to do moving forward now to try and streamline this, to try and be working more with more joined-up thinking, etc.? Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't mean to make this a political subject and what I mean by that is you know using COVID-19 um, to make political gains but the Shared Ireland platform was set up to promote Irish reunification so we will be advocating all our followers and people that listen to us um, when there does come a border poll we'll be advocating them to vote yes but the one big distinction between us and maybe other people is we don't believe that this is a conversation that should be rushed. That's why we have started um, a year ago and uh, throughout this past year and in the years to come we plan to hold what we would like to describe as adult conversations with all sections of um, people around Ireland including obviously people like yourself and people from the unionist uh, persuasion about I suppose having a detailed conversation we need to plan we need to prepare we need to flesh out what our future shared Ireland could look like and the reason and our thinking behind that if we look back to 2016 and use the example of the Brexit vote where genuinely people even in my own family were asking me at times what way should we vote and the reason why people were confused is because there simply was not enough planning 
preparation and the public genuinely uh, in a lot of cases didn't know what was the best way to go about it. So the reason why I'm saying this column is would there be a possibility before there is a future border poll here and what you know what would the practical steps be of having an all-island health service okay now i'm not talking about irish reunification here i'm talking about saving people's lives it's as simple as that and like if you're arlene foster living in fermanagh if you're leah varadkar living in dublin health as you rightfully said earlier does not discriminate it knows no borders or boundaries so do you think colin it is something that is feasible that we could honestly say six and a half million people living here in this small island that we could say right we'll leave politics at the door here and we'll develop a system that could look after us all island-wide yeah absolutely I, I do believe so and actually i think the conversations have actually in some ways started and i think many of the health professionals here on the island would already recognize the wisdom of that approach and i mean in the north here we're currently looking at how we can rebuild uh, services in the aftermath of COVID-19 and we have been on a journey in terms of trying to make the necessary transformation to our health service but that also applies in the south because in, in many western countries there, there is a significant problem in terms of an aging population um, in terms of the needs of social care in terms of the needs of people living longer and with more complex comorbidities and, and conditions so those conversations are going on to some degree separately, but also I, I am aware of significant of you know conversations going on with, with health professionals who recognise the absolute sense of as we design and develop new systems that those would include a looking at where we can maximise the benefit of having people. So for example, the uh, the stroke the stroke unit the, the, the word being actually stroke unit in Southwest Acute Hospital. There's absolutely no reason why that couldn't be serving um, a part of the population in the south of the border, mm -hmm. which would make it more sustainable. It would have to improve upon the already excellent services that are providing, um, and it would provide some kind of um, equality in terms of access for people from those hinterlands. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, Yeah, because we have to be honest here, Colin, is that the NHS is probably seen as the jewel in the crown of the British model. But, and while it's free at the point of entry, but I suppose you could say if everybody pays their taxes and whatnot, is anything really free? Uh, because obviously it has to be paid for some way. And then we, we go um, into the south and we look at the HSE model. Um, and again, it's not perfect. So, you know, I would be advocating that we look at both models and take the best bits from each 
and try and create a model like the Swedish model or there's different countless uh, countries around the world that we could look at and we could formulate something that um, you know kind of makes something new um, that works um, but one of the main um, problems that that we always hear from I guess um, people that would be against uh, Irish reunification on health would be um, in the south they have to pay 80 euro to go and see their doctor or GP and actually when you drill down that's not factually correct because there's health cards that people um, children um, obviously get free access people that are unemployed get free access to doctors um, the old age pensioners get free access to um, health so it's it's um, it's not just as simple as that um, what sort of a health system column would you see island-wide? Um, would it be one that would be free at the point of entry or would it be one where people were going to have to start maybe, um, you know, taking out insurance policies and stuff like this? Well, my preference would be for free at the point of entry. And, but what I would like to see is an all-Ireland health service based mm -hmm. on the best, the best practice that, that we can get. And I think there are misconceptions in terms of as you highlighted there, the, the, in terms of who pays for health in the south, and, and sometimes there are maybe uh, misconceptions around that. But there's also misconceptions here in the north, where at times I'm, I'm very aware of constituents at times who are being forced into taking appointments on a private basis in order to have hip operations, which because they're in agony and the weakness here are such that they're not able. But that opens up a two-tier system. It does. And it, it opens up inequalities. Recently, Colm, um, we were delighted to have on our podcast um, Ulster Unionist Party spokesperson for mental health, Robbie Butler. Um, obviously, Robbie's an MLA, as are you. Have you had much interaction with Robbie um, in regards to mental health, Colm? Responsibility as politicians to do something about. 
Robbie, Robbie, really, um, obviously, I don't know Robbie, only met him for about an hour, an hour and a half, but he genuinely um, come across as a very sincere and genuine person in regards to, you know, his work around um, mental health, obviously. But I, I guess that raises another question, Colin, like we, we've all been more or less housebound for the past um, three months. And, you know, I, I've, like yourself, no doubt, been reading papers and watching social media and um, domestic violence has apparently been on the rise. And, and while obviously, I was going to say, while I can understand that, obviously, uh, no, nobody should be, um, domestic violence is not acceptable in any society, regardless of, of the circumstances. But, you know, and there's people that had depression even before COVID raised its ugly head. Uh, and obviously being confined to their own um, space has, has probably um, just, you know, made that a lot worse. There, there is a feeling, Colm, that, you know, in the months and even years ahead, that mental health, um, regardless of COVID, but particularly if you lump COVID and have it, is going to be a serious problem here. Because, you know, leave, leaving COVID out of the equation for a second here, Colin, um, you know, the north of Ireland have recently just come out of a conflict for th of 30 or 40 years of a war. And um, I think it's widely known around the world that there, there's probably more people suffering with PSTD here than there has been per head of population than maybe anywhere else in, in, in the world. Um, so, like, this is a major uh, issue regardless of any pandemic and um, I heard a frightening stat and, and I probably won't be able to recall it now accurately but um, there has been more people took their own lives in the north of Ireland post the ceasefire through suicide than there was people that died during the conflict which was obviously over three and a half thousand people that is very scary Colin Colin, can I just stop you there? Yeah. So, so you're quoting the figures 
that out of our budget here in the north, we spend only five or six percent. Yes. Now, as an MLA, as a member of the Legislative Assembly, somebody that has the power to actually change people's lives, and I'm talking about you and your colleagues here, not in Sinn Féin, of course, your, your fellow MLAs, does that not make you sad? And I suppose the, the most obvious question I have is, why don't you do something about it then? Glad to hear that, and I'm glad to obviously uh, see that you're uh, uh, very passionate about it as well. So, so that's good. Colm, I appreciate that my next subject isn't really your remit, but if you wouldn't mind, maybe just giving a, a brief update for the benefit of our listeners. And the subject is around legacy and the victims' pensions. Now, now there is obviously seems to be a lot of confusion over this. Um, if you listen to the media and basically um, could you give any clarification to number one Sinn Féin's stance on this and number two how you would see it being resolved and what exactly do you mean by that Colin? I'm wrong here, Colin, but it's one of the sticking points in this also that um, if um, a potential victim that may qualify for this pension 
if he or she, regardless of their affiliation to whichever organization, whether it be a loyalist or a Republican organization, if they have spent a period of two or two and a half years in jail, that they also may not qualify for this pension. Is that accurate? One last question on this, if you don't mind, Colin. Um, and I guess it's, it's a very significant one. Where is the money going to come out of to um, fund this pension? Because as far as I can see, is that the British government um, have passed uh, the button on to the Stormont executive without a funding mechanism. Is that accurate as well? Thanks for that, Colm, and I appreciate you speaking about that, as I say, because it's not within your um, remit, I'm aware of that, so thanks for that clarification. Just before I move on to the next subject, Colm, um, I, I guess, you know, listening to family and friends and talking to people, as we all do, um, kind of the, the fear now for people as we exit COVID, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, will we all have to uh, button down the hatches financially because the big fear is here after the British government um, forelonging people and paying up to 80% of people's wages. Uh, the fear is that we're all going to have to pay this back somehow. So I, I guess my question is relating this back to um, the north of Ireland here is like, will water charges, can you see them being introduced in the future to help claw back some of this money or... Um, can you maybe reassure our listeners that that um, you know we won't be hit with um, heavy um, levies?
how they year on year cut and strip back public services to the point where they were at kind of rock bottom when, when this when this uh, emergency here hit and I think that was that was a significant impact. So you cannot continue to press those who are already most hard pressed and you know after a negative austerity I don't believe that there is any scope for that and we will certainly resist it. This needs to be funded in terms of in terms of a proper um, strategy, financial strategy, you know, you can see economic and, and green growth strategies or whatever, but it can't be done off off the back of further austerity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I fully agree with that. Okay, uh, Colm, we're 28 minutes into the second part of the conversation with you today. So one of my last questions, Colm, is um, going to be around the establishment of a Citizens' Assembly to plan, prepare and discuss our new future shared Ireland. Now, again, just to set a little bit of context for any of our listeners that maybe aren't aware, this is probably one of the, the main reasons why Shared Ireland platform came around. Um, there's all our platforms out there. Obviously, we've got um, a group called Ireland's Future um, who are calling on the Irish government in particular to establish a Citizens' Assembly to discuss mechanisms, how we can uh, prepare and discuss and plan our new future. Um, could, could you give me your thoughts around this whole um, conversation, Colm, and why you, I'm assuming, believe that it would be vital for the establishment of a citizens-type assembly? Yeah, and actually, it's, it's an area that I'm, I'm quite interested in. I was uh, actually an observer at a, a citizens' assembly that took place here in the north in relation to adult social care mm-hmm. sometime last year. Um, I, I am, in general, a fan of participatory democracy, and I believe the more people who are involved in all conversations, the better. Mm-hmm. I also live, and I'm, I'm very lucky to live in an area in, in the Bronze where we have a very mixed community, an agricultural community, where people naturally cooperate and talk and meet and engage on a regular basis. And I have found an emerging willingness to talk about this issue across our, our community locally. When you meet people in the shop, People are starting to realise. I think. I think actually the, the, the Brexit debate crystallised it a bit in terms of how dependent we all are on each other, That's how integrated the the all Ireland economy has become. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, farmers, producers of food, all 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 those all those people now rely on a on a very well developed all Ireland economy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think. I think there's there's an appetite to have that conversation, and I think that. A measured and a considered way of sitting down and working through the issues in a kind of a systematic way in a, in a, in a space where people feel safe to express their viewpoint, to test out ideas, to throw things out, play devil's advocate, mm-hmm. try out something new or whatever. I think that that idea of a citizens' assembly would create a sort of a, a comfort zone for people to engage in those conversations and I think that is obviously a, a very vital next step in terms of moving forward as an island and in a way that, that promotes harmony, promotes prosperity and promotes, you know, just just a, a new dispensation where we can all move forward and, and sort of uh, capitalise on the potential of, our, of all our people. Absolutely. And I suppose, you know, people's probably fed up um, hearing me saying this, but, you know, we're, we're all adults here. We're, we're all, you know realize that obviously we're not going to agree on the the major fundamental question here 
on Irish politics, you know, about the future constitutional arrangements. Of course we're not. You know, Mike Nesbitt has a different viewpoint than, than you, I'm sure, on that question, uh, as does Arlene and Michelle have opposing views on it. But, you know, we're all adults. And if we have learnt anything from our past and that has gone through 30 years of conflict, of, of killing each other, basically, you know, what's the alternative? The alternative is to sit down like rational people and, and, and have a healthy debate, but realise that we should be the last generation that had to live through a conflict where over three and a half thousand people died and countless others still walking about um, with limbs missing in wheelchairs, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and I suppose, you know, there's a onus on us, I believe, Colin, um, that, that, you know, for the sake of our children, our grandchildren and future generations, that, that that's where I see the onus is upon us to ensure that they don't have to live through, unfortunately, what we did. Absolutely. Uh, again, this is a question, it's a recurring question that we ask all our guests, Colin, so um, I'll ask you too. What is required to create a truly shared Ireland? or 30 years time and I suppose uh, what I really mean by that is describe an Ireland that you would like to see uh, when you are sitting in your rocking chair when you're around 80 or 90 years of age. Will you be a TD for Fermanagh South Tyrone then?
Council of, of the Irish people and the Irish nation. Very good. Just quickly, Colin, because I, I'm aware of your time constraints here as well, um, I'd just like to touch on, um, obviously, you're uh, an elected representative here in the north of Ireland, but um, the, the elections in the south of Ireland were obviously contested at the start of 2020, and um, Sinn Féin clearly won the popular vote. Um, I believe your party stood something like 44 or 45 candidates and 40 of them got elected, which um, I'm assuming took everybody by surprise, I suppose. But considering that your party did win the popular vote, um, how does it make you feel, Colm, that your party um, still has not been allowed to enter the negotiations to form any new government in the South? I'm actually very hesitant to mention this next thing because while you and I are having this conversation column, um, I've got a um, things are popping up on my phone here from Twitter and Facebook that and uh, this is the part that I'm slightly reluctant to mention it, but listen, I'm going to anyway. I believe I have seen here that Eamon Ryan, leader of the Green Party, has resigned today. Um, but again, uh, I just don't want to totally confirm that because I could be wrong, but I think that's the gist of it. So if that is the case, Colm, obviously the Green Party were, were nearly the kingmakers in these current negotiations between Fine Gael and Fine Foyle. Um, if that is the case, is there a distinct possibility then that we could be heading back to the ballot box in the months ahead? Yes. So I hadn't heard that. Um, to me, that's the outworking of the, the kind of um, 
the anger that exists in the South in terms of what has been perceived as a carve-up, and, and it's it's probably significant that the Green Party are organised on an online basis themselves, but mm-hmm. I think it's a recognition by the Green Party that those, those, those talks that are ongoing at the present time would have no possibility of delivering on the expectation of change that the people voted for. Yes. So I'm guessing that has fed into that decision, but yeah, it does, it does, it does add to the uncertainty, I suppose, and, and again, I'm confident in saying that Sinn Féin at any time are willing to talk to anyone in relation to setting up a stable government in the South which would deliver on that, on that change that people voted for. And, and without meaning to put words in your mouth here, Colm, I think it would only be logical to assume if there was um, an election round the corner in a month or two or three, I'm assuming that Sinn Féin would be standing uh, a lot more candidates next time around. Colin, tell me this, who inspires you in life? I must say because um, yeah, my, my mum and my dad would be the two people um, that would inspire me as well so that's very good. Colm we're just coming near the end of today's interview and two last questions the first one being if you could be anyone for one day who would that person be and why please? Um, who it would be and explain why as soon as you mentioned Donald Trump uh, an explanation wasn't actually necessary at all <laughs> <laughs> that's good I think that would be a service I, I honestly believe that would be a service to the entire world and the entire body politic and just how we all inter- interact with each other the toxicity that has been created since that election has been damaging and I, I, I look forward to better days mm-hmm. absolutely I, I don't think there'll be many people disagreeing with you on that one so, Colin, final question, and again, we ask this to everyone. 
If you could invite three people alive or dead to your fictional dinner party, who would them three people be and why, please? Sorry, sorry for springing that one on you. <laughs> well, I know, I know that the, the first one's an easy enough choice would be Nelson Mandela. Um, uh, just as an inspiring and a, and a wise individual, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to have uh, Nelson Mandela. Um, in terms of another, another figure who I think stood up and, and uh, defied the powers that be all around him was Fidel Castro. I think they'd be a good combination at the mm-hmm. dinner. And for a bit of balance and a bit of contrast, I think I'd invite maybe Jim Allister along just for getting sparks going. I think it'd, I think it'd be interesting night all round. Oh, you could sell tickets to that one. Oh, definitely. There's no doubt about that. You definitely could sell tickets. Well, um, Colin Gildenew, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you today. You've been very open and honest with all your answers and opinions. Um, and just before we go, the Shared Ireland team would like to acknowledge once again the work that you, your party and all the parties and elected representatives island-wide Column do and have been doing in particular over um, this past three months to try and I suppose safeguard us all even though at times um, we, we were possibly frustrated and maybe didn't see the logic behind some of your moves but um, I think it's a great it's a great piece of work that you all have been doing and um, I'm sure um, you know it is appreciated um, society wide and, and of course we would like to acknowledge all our health staff frontline workers of all sections uh, because without their courageous efforts I guess we all would find ourselves in a worse position so um, is there anything you would like to finish off on yourself column just before we go Um, thank you very much for that that's a nice endorsement Colin that's appreciated so folks that's um, us finished with part two of um, Colin's um, interview you can find part one um, on the tweet uh, above this one so it'll be linked to it and of course if you did like it we'd love to hear your comments and feedback and a like and a retweet would also be much appreciated stay safe everyone and speak to you all again soon bye bye